Hi everyone, you're listening to Humanize Your Workplace with Alyssa Carpenter, where we chat about all things, well, human. On each of these bite-sized episodes, I'll give you something new to try to become more self-aware, help you build better work relationships, or just try to get you through a sticky work situation. It all starts with an open mind and a conversation. Welcome to this week's episode of Humanize Your Workplace. This week's an extra special episode because I have Jen Brown here, who's the founder of The Engaging Educator, and she just launched a new book, Think on Your Feet, Tips and Tricks to Improve Your Impromptu Communication Skills on the Job. And Jen and I actually met on Twitter, one of my favorite platforms, and I'm very excited to just kind of chat with you today. So thanks, Jen, so much for joining us. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I love how well real you are, obviously, on the phone and online. Is there somebody, when you kind of take a step back, that helped you or inspired you to be that way, to kind of put, put stuff out there, put yourself out there to be who you are? I think, honestly, it was my past self that just got really exhausted, people-pleasing all the time. I mean, I was an actor for a really long time. I did my undergrad in theater and dance. And when you're an actor, it's like you're constantly being someone else for someone else. And after I quit in early 2009, mid-2009, I was like, wow, I'm really tired. And then also, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, I don't know what kind of person I am because I've been someone for someone else for so long. So I think at this point, I've, I'm like 37 now. I'm, I'm fed up. With watching people just not own themselves because someone's always going to judge you. Someone's always going to say, oh, you're not enough or, oh, you're too much. So I find that being enough for myself is one of the most powerful things I can do to take care of my well-being and self. And I really suggest it to like anyone, but especially that woman that's in her like early to mid 20s. It's like, oh, I have to be this person and this person and this person. And it's like, girl, you are always going to be someone's problem. Yeah. So just be good enough for yourself. I love that. It's fun. I, I still struggle with that. And I try so hard to just be me. Like there's always somebody who's going to like you, who, what you have to say. And there's always going to be a million people that don't. And mm-hmm. I think it's a tough pill to swallow sometimes in the professional world or just in life to know somebody doesn't like you and you don't know why and you're just you. I was in, uh, I was at a, a venture partner boot camp with this organization that I do some work for and helping people start and run businesses. It's a crowdfunding organization called WeFunder. And we were there. So we had all of these San Francisco, Silicon Valley founders, both successful and ones that were on their second exit, maybe their company closed, whatever happened. And one night someone was talking to us and he, Sam said, he's like, always pay attention to the people that like and love you because it's better to cultivate those relationships than to try to convince someone who's meh and like dislikes you and the haters to like you. Like it's so much easier. It's so much better. And then like building those relationships and making them stronger is always going to feed you more than fighting with someone. And I mean, that was just this past summer. And I was like, Whoa, this is like, if I needed the point driven home anymore, Mm -hmm this did it for me and it was just like there's there's that moment where you have to step back and you're you have to think who am I really doing this for well especially because then you start to lose yourself I even think about my 
professional self, you know, when I wish to work full time for someone else and you're trying so hard to be that people pleaser, to be that showstopper and that standout. And then you start to lose who you are when you're trying to impress people who just don't like you, <laughs> just don't, you know, see the type of way you just lose essence of, of who you are to try to become who you think they want you to be. That's a Absolutely. powerful statement. Yep. And it's like those people that want you to be someone, I mean, we all have different versions of ourselves. Like we, we show up differently with our friends, with our clients, with our coworkers. But the thing is, it's like a different version of ourselves. It's like ourselves wearing a different hat or yeah. wearing a different outfit. It's not changing who you are at your core because that's exhausting. And it, sure, when you're figuring it out, you're trying on a, diff- a lot of different things. But when you, when you actually dig into like, okay, these are my core values, this is my North Star, this is my mission, then it becomes like, okay, well, when does my mission drive me? When do I just exist to exist? Because that's totally a thing. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's not worth fighting. And it's just like, all right, well, I'm just gonna, you know, I don't, I don't agree with these people around me. I'm gonna limit my interactions with them and peace out. And yeah. And there's those moments where you're like, okay, I have to be me. Like, I can't just sit down. And, and for me, a lot of times it's like watching really bad listening. Sometimes I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, if you're close to me and you're a really terrible listener, I will call you out. I'm like, <laughs> just, like, just whatever you're doing right now, just take a breath, like focus on this moment right now. Cause we're having disagreements because of this. So let's pull it in. <laughs> and for better or for worse, people love and hate it. But it's, it's true. Active listening is a part of the communication process. You can't just speak. You have to listen to be able to consciously be able to speak and have conversations with with people. And I think that's often forgot about just in general. If people would just take a step back and listen to one another and not just like, like we were talking earlier about not just be keyboard warriors, not just like vomit out your opinion right away, but actually process like, we would have so many less arguments, I think, because in the end, like a lot of people aren't, most people aren't sociopaths. They're not like malicious and terrible. (laughs) But but they misunderstand one another. So you get all caught up in in this vibe and this feeling and this aggression or this misunderstanding and you start getting really aggressive or you shut off. And if you would just step back, take a breath, reflect on what's happening, and actually listen, I think that we would have less disagreements about like who people are and what kind of person and less people pleasing because yep. a lot of us are on the same page. Yeah. We're def- I, I think when you assume the best intentions of someone, you can go so much further in your relationship. People, you're right. People aren't intentionally out to get other people for the most part. I think it's like one in 25 people are sociopaths. And I always, I remember that very specifically because when I'm in a room full of a ton of people and there's someone that I know is like very self-serving, centrist, centering, all of that. I'm like, okay, there's the one. <laughs> I found them. I can move on now. <laughs> everyone else is safe for me to talk to. <laughs> I would love to learn more about the engaging educator because you've been doing that for a little while. And I think it's just a really interesting business model, especially being, you know, putting improv in there to find yourself and, and communicate your best style. Yeah. So we started, we started, I started about seven years ago when I was a museum professional and it was very specifically to help other museum professionals be more flexible, whether they're talking to visitors, whether they're leading a meeting, 
And I ran a few public classes, like rented studio space in New York, filled them up pretty quickly. And then I had like normal people, non-museum people (laughs) signing up for classes. And I was like, huh, I wonder why this is happening. And I realized very quickly, there were a lot of people that were teaching like improv for communication skills in New York, because it's New York. Right. The problem, though, is a lot of them were associated with theaters. So they had like an acting program as well as like a normal person program. And, and I say this as an ex-actor, like actors aren't normal people. We, <laughs> we look for affirmation from people we don't know. So it's a very strange sort of mentality if you want to go into something like this. And, and it shows a huge dynamic in a class when you have like an actor and a professional working on improv because the actor is using it for performance for these very different skills than a professional who's using it while being in a meeting is a bit of a performance and speaking on a stage or having a conversation can be seen as a performance. It's still very different than an actor's goals in an improv class. So I just leaned into it and just kept following like, okay, people want this. Let's make it so no actors can sign up. And in the beginning, I like had to refund people because they were actors that were looking for an improv class and they wanted to take an improv class with us. And I'm like, no, 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 I can't have an actor in this class. It changes the dynamic. Only people that are professionals and working professionals or looking for a job, essentially they don't want to be actors. Mm-hmm. So because we, we kind of like leaned into that so hard, all of our facilitators now, and even then, we took the language that surrounds improv and really translated it to language that everyone understands. So like, it's not a scene partner. You're in a moment in a conversation. You're, you're not looking for an objective, which is sometimes the actory language that you use. You're striving for what you want. So we're using all these principles of improv being a heightened reality to help people communicate as the best version of themselves. And that's so interesting. My background is in higher education and improv in those acting classes, I would often suggest to students. And at first they would question why, you know, why would I want to do this class? It just seems so different, especially business students. But after they took it, they said it was one of the most impactful classes that they've taken because it makes them think outside of the box and different situations. So it's, it's an interesting, I think, approach to communication and doing that in the workplace. I think a lot of times we we immediately make these almost ideas about ourselves like, oh, I'm constantly misunderstood or, oh, I'm, I'm just not a good speaker or, oh, I, I just this. And improv, like you rightly were telling students, it gives you that practice, that space to work on those skills that generally speaking, you can't really workshop them as much as you might like in the workplace because you have consequences right Mm -hmm. so you you try a new communication style with someone and that might really throw that person off confuse them lose a deal make someone upset with you and it creates this kind of like stag force stagnancy in how you're communicating at work flip to improv and you can try to be an assertive communicator you can try to be more of a listener you can try to ask different kinds of questions or strive for what you want or work out your agenda oriented thinking all in a place where other people are working on that at the same time. So it gives you kind of that like real life, but not experience that you can apply very easily. 
So you're essentially role playing different scenarios when you have buy-in from people who also <laughs> want to role play scenarios versus being stuck in a, in a place where you're trying things out and, and people are not interested <laughs> in learning and, those types of things. Yep. And you're getting feedback in the moment in real time. So very rarely do you have someone like watching your workplace conversation. So you can talk about it like, oh man, I feel like this person wasn't listening to me or didn't understand me. And you can vent about it when you get home. You can talk to other coworkers. In an improv moment, you have a teacher, hopefully, that's watching you and giving you feedback. So where you thought that maybe this person isn't listening to you, maybe you're not being clear. Maybe you're not being as specific as you think you are, which is a common problem. Like, we're not mind readers, but I think a lot of times people are like, oh, I was totally clear with that. And it's fascinating to watch how people interpret things. And that's something you get from improv because it's very exhibitionist. Like you have a whole group of people watching this conversation. So you learn very quickly, like, am I clear? Am I concise? Do I get to the point? Do I actually seek out what I want? Or am I just like beating around the bush, hoping that they'll get it? And it's great that there's feedback involved from other people. So it's a room full of people just letting you know if you hit those points because you might think you said something, Mm -hmm. but you probably didn't or you said it in a way that the impact of the message was very different from the intent that you were going for. I think those are my favorite classes where everyone in the room buys into that feedback model. Mm -hmm. Like it comes up probably like once every three or four classes both in the facilitator classes that we run in New York and then programs that I teach personally, because we, we have a couple different locations where we're playing off classes. When the class asked me like, hey, can you connect us all via email after? Because we want to work together to get better after this. I'm like, that is so, right, that's so dreamy because I don't want a codependent relationship with students. I don't want them to need me or need us. I want them to like, figure out how to do it, be like, yeah, I learned how to do this from them. And now I'm going to help other people around me. So that's like when other people are like, hey, you know what, you weren't very clear at this. Or hey, let me workshop what I'm about to ask my boss with you, other random person that I met in an improv professional development class. That's like the dreamiest situation. I love it. And obviously, this to me is very playful. And when we talk about workplaces, How do you think or why do you think uh, team culture should really embrace play at work or even learn how to play at work? We not only take ourselves way too seriously at work, which I get (laughs) because it's like your livelihood. It feeds you. It gives you a roof over your head. It may be some giant desire or path that you're following. So it's really important to you. If you're constantly in this place where you're avoiding trying things new, and that's what comes out of play, I think, is this new look on things, this new view, whether it be a new way to communicate with someone that you're talking with, a new look on a situation, a new feeling towards something. If you're avoiding that because of the possibility of failure, then you're never going to succeed because you're just playing it safe the entire time and doing the status quo and doing what works. And what works in the sense of to keep it going, not to make new things happen or growth. If you play at work and you learn to play and take time out for that, you're freeing up your brain from like that montone that it's been in of like, okay, well, I come in, I do this, I answer this, I make this happen. You're breaking up that structure and that pattern 
So you're being able to figure new things out. And while like humans experience something called going against the grain when they try something new, so they're, they're used to doing the same thing, their performance stays the same. They change something and their performance drops. And a lot of times people are like, oh, I can't change things because that's scary, that drop in performance, that drop in efficiency. But the fact of the matter is after that drop, it shoots up past where you were because right. you've, you've leveled up, you've upped your skills. And I think playing does that because it breaks you out of your regular. It gets you in a place where you're like, huh, I've never seen you like this before. I've never thought of this like this before. Oh, I love that. And I'm, I'm curious. So let's say I'm a manager, a supervisor, somebody within the organization that's thinking, this is awesome. I love this philosophy of playing more at work. I want my employees to hit this next level, go higher. Is there an activity, an exercise, or something that's a low-hanging fruit that they could implement for their employees? I think my favorite one that has like such a high payoff, that's such a, it sounds super hilarious and ridiculous and it usually is but it has a high <laughs> payoff in a lot of ways is something called last word so you put two people together you have a conversation and the last word of the previous statement has to be the first word of the response so for example if I'm like it's a really nice day today your response might be today is really sunny sunny days are great Great days. I love to ski. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. See, but so, I was like, what? Right? <laughs> it's awesome. But it's funny because you get to a point where you start talking like Yoda or you're like, none of this makes sense. Like, this is so weird. And what it does, and, and for anyone listening to, to give the science, not the science, but like the thought process behind it, it slows a person down to the point that they have to think and wait till that person is done talking before they formulate their response. And that double edge sort of like, you're gonna laugh because you sound crazy and ridiculous and it just turns into this weird conversation that sounds like Yoda and all of the, awesome. <laughs> the, right? But then it also lets you realize how often we respond and get ready to respond before that person's done talking. Yes. And, and that is like that, that pause, that breath, that moment of thought gives such a better response to people. So it's a good way to like diffuse conflict. It's a good way just to get yourself back on track. And then the application, like you can wait until that person's done talking, take that last word, not necessarily use it in a daily sentence, but be inspired by it for your response. And then you're starting to have these more more responsive versus reactive moments. And is I was trying to think of a statistic. I know somebody mentioned even our brain just processes things just so quickly and you just have this response. You're probably three, four words in and you already think you know what you're going to say. Um, it happens constantly. That's the most frustrating thing, I think, when people already have a response to what you're going to say before you say it and it's wrong <laughs> because yes. you weren't even going in that direction. Yes, and it's like when you're, and, and thinking to using improv to help these moments, it's like that's when improv really makes an impact. Not when, and, and I love folks that use it for just team building. I love folks for, that use it for fun, for fun's sake. I feel you get more buy-in when you can start grounding it in these other skills. And it's not just like team building. Because if you're going to go team building, like 
go to a cocktail hour, go on a boat, go rock climbing, like do something like that's so out of your norm because improv makes so many people uncomfortable in good and bad ways. But if you start grounding that discomfort in like, hey, you know what, you're going to be better at your listening or your public speaking or your leadership skills, as well as being a team building and connecting with one another, then you actually have something that people value as opposed to, hey, we're doing team building today and everyone (laughs) groans because they think they're going to do trust falls for two hours. Right. And it's okay, you do these things, you'll get to know your colleagues, but you might be able to nail that, you know, presentation with that client to, you know, get your bonus, you know, you're being able to connect improv to tangible wins, both professionally and personally for someone, which goes so much further than let's just hang out at a bar for an hour. Exactly. And when you're implementing this as like a manager or an owner or founder, anything like that, when you when you're showing that you care about someone's growth, and how they're doing their job better that also applies to their real life. Because, listen, I can't tell you how many workshops I've done where people are like, I'm going to use this with my partner at home. And I'm like, you do that because we all need better communication skills. This right. makes me really happy. How it, can... it affects all aspects. No, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Oh, no. It affects all aspects. Like, it's just, it's everything. Right. Because we're not just, we're one person. We have so many different parts of our lives and you would love to have a better relationship with your significant other. And if that exercise, I actually might do that with my husband. Later. I was like, okay, let's follow through on what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And if I am curious, how can our audience get in touch with you if they're looking to bring you in? Cause I can very much see um, our audience really trying to engage in improv and just have more fun and bring people into the office to be able to do that. Yeah, there's a couple different ways. I My website is jenbrown.co. So Jen spelled J-E-N, brown like the color, dot C-O. And then the Engaging Educator is linked through there as well. So if you remember to type the before Engaging Educator, you'll definitely find that. Any combination in a Google search also brings that up. We've been around since 2012. So bless my SEO woman who has like made my life so much better on the web. I can't, on a side note, surround yourself with people that do things better than you do because (laughs) your life becomes so much easier. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But, like, that's how you can find me. Thanks to wonderful people like Anne from New Start Solutions, who has made me findable on the internet after seven years. Oh, nice. And if we want to purchase your book, Think on Your Feet, I assume Amazon, Barnes & Noble, are the best places to find it? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books, anyway. We're in a lot of Barnes & Nobles, which is kind of crazy. I, I tell people, if you see ah! me, in the, if you see the book in the wild, please take a picture yes! and I'll like lose it in some way, shape, or form. And people, they didn't believe me at first. And then they started sending me these gorgeous pictures with like the new iPhone camera with them in my book. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I would just start crying. <laughs> I, I, I did actually the first couple. And now I'm just like, get a little smile on my face, especially when people are like, I don't know you, but here's your book. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I love it. But really, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing about your experience and improv and having fun at work. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. You have a good rest of your day.
Thank you. And to our audience, if you have any more questions for Jen or anything that you want to be answered on a future episode, just reach out to me on Twitter at not okay, that's okay. Until next time. Thanks again for listening. But did you know that you can leave me a voice message to answer any questions on an upcoming episode? Just go into the show notes and the link will be there at the bottom for you to send me that message. Have a great day.